If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would, uh, find the fourth chapter of the book of Mark, as we've been looking through a series on listening. And today, let's just all be honest, if we can, for a moment. No one likes to be told what to do. Doesn't matter if it's at church, if it's at work, if it's at home. All of us would much rather tell someone our opinions, tell someone what we're thinking, or tell someone what to do rather than being told what to do. And for those few of you who are trying to be very spiritual at this moment and saying, not me, I don't have a problem listening, I like doing what I'm told, your sin is lying. And there's no other way around it. But yet when we look through the fourth chapter of Mark, Jesus is repeatedly saying, listen, listen, listen. And today as we go through this passage of Scripture, we've been looking at the parable of the soils. We've been looking about how we're not to hide our light that we have been given from the Lord, from others. But today as we continue on, we need to remember what's going on here. And in just a few chapters, in chapter 6, Mark is going to write to us about how Jesus is going to take these men. And he's going to tell them to go out in pairs and preach to people. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to prepare them as they go for people saying no. For people rejecting the message that they have. And so as he's teaching through these chapters, he's trying to explain to them that they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They're not saying no to what you have, they're saying no to what I'm offering them. And so we need to be encouraged as we try to witness to lost people when many of them laugh at us, they mock us, they don't agree with us, they might even make fun of us, that it's not our responsibility to change them. And that can be applied even more than just our lost family and friends. That can be applied in our own marriage. You say, Jake, I'm trying to be the spouse that God wants me to be. I'm trying to pray for my spouse. I'm trying to be kind and forgiving to them, but they are not changing. Friends, you cannot produce spiritual change in your family. You say, well, Jake, I'm trying to be the parent that God wants me to be. I'm trying to be the example that God wants me to be. I'm trying to bring them to church like God wants me to be. And those are all good. You can be that example, but there is nothing you can do on your own that can cause spiritual growth or spiritual change in a person. And what Jesus is telling us is that it's God. God is the one that works in people's hearts. God is the one that works in people's lives. And can we be used as a tool, as an instrument? Yes. But ultimately, each person has to make that decision to allow God to work in their life or not. And so you and I, he says, don't get discouraged. Don't quit when we don't see the results that we'd like to see. And so if you would stand with me out of a reverence, we're going to read the two verses from last week as we finish up that section. Just this reminder to listen this morning. And then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Pray with me this morning. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, asking that you would help us to be listeners. 
Lord, that you would allow us to hear with our ears and accept with our hearts the words that you have for each and every one of us. Father, I pray today that you would help this congregation and your messenger, Lord, to be open to who you are and what you are doing in our lives. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of any sin in my heart, my life, my mind, that would grieve or hinder what you are doing in this place. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so if those verses that I just read, you say, well, how can you take something from someone if they don't have it? The better um, reading of that is found in the book of Luke where it says he will take from them what they think they have. They think they have faith. They think they have a relationship with the Lord. They think they are depending on, but deep down they know they're not. And he says that outward form of religion, that, 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 that lying to themselves, even that is going to be taken away. But yet for those of you who are truly saved, those of us who really know God and are seeking Him and wanting Him to work in our lives, God will add more. And so today as we look through this passage of Scripture, I know I've preached long the last couple of weeks, and so I'll try to get you out a little early today like I did the first service. But the first thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture in verses 26 through 29 is we must trust the plan of God. We must trust the plan of God. Today, you have to believe that God has not only a plan for you to witness to lost people, but also that God has a plan for your marriage, that God has a plan for your failures, that God has a plan for your past and how He can use that today. Look at verses 26 through 29. And He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night, and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and after the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we've talked about the sowing of seed, that it's the seed that matters, it's not the, so, it's not the sower. And what here he says is, is sometimes you have to be reminded that God is the one who produces results. And it's very fitting here because he says after he sows it, he goes and does what? Sleeps. And when he wakes up, the increase has began. And so you need to know that there are some times in your life that all you can do is be obedient to God and then trust Him. Trust Him with the results when you witness at work. Trust Him with the results when you're trying to be the spouse that God wants you to be. Trust Him with your children when you are trying to be the parent God wants you to be. You cannot produce spiritual fruit. It's God working through you. And so what does that mean? That means pray for your loved ones, witness for your loved ones, and then trust God. This idea for sleep here is this idea of just rest. That there's nothing you can do about it. Once it's in the ground, it's up to God. All you can do is what you can do. And I think this is hard for us if we're honest. Because in almost every area of our life, we can make changes that affect us. Right? If you want to build something, you buy the material, you learn the skill, you build it. If you want to purchase something, you find out how to save, you find out when it's uh, on sale, and you make that purchase. Right? You want to get healthy, you get a gym membership, and you never use it, all right? But no, 
But you use it, right? Those are things that you can control, that you can be involved on. But when it comes to changing people's lives, when it comes to the power of God to save the lost, when it comes to the power of God to bring the prodigal home, that's above our pay grade. We have no power in that. And we have to trust God if we've done our part that God knows what's best. That God is in control. That God loves your marriage. That God loves your spouse. That God loves your lost neighbor. That God knows and loves your children. And that's hard for us to just do what God's asked us to do and step back. I don't like it. I'll be honest with you. I have preached and preached and prayed for people and looked and watched them be in the same mess that they were in when I started here 12 years ago. And I think, God, any time. And God has to remind me, Jake, I'm the one at work. Not you. You've prayed, you've preached, you've tried to be there for Him, but ultimately it's up to God. The second thing I want to show you here from this passage, though, is very encouraging because once God starts to produce the crop, He what? He finishes it. Friends, today you might feel like you've failed God. You might feel like you have become useless to God. You might think that your past and your unbelief and struggles have kept you from being who God wants you to be. But this morning I want you to see this. There in verse 28, For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, and after the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. God finishes what he starts. And today if you'll let him work, if you'll let him move, if you'll be willing to be open and and moldable to the Spirit of God, God is going to work in you and he's not going to quit. That means when He saved you, He's not going to lose you. When He put you in the palm of His hand, He's not going to drop you. When He wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, He's not going to erase it. You need to be reminded that God has you, that God has a purpose for you, and God will finish it, even if we become difficult along the way. It's a great encouragement to us. You see, the church at Corinth began to fight over who was the greatest preacher, who was the greatest missionary. I want to follow this person or that person. And listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you have believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. This morning you need to know that you matter to God, that God loves you, but that you are just a tool that God can use. My wife has a butterfly flower garden that is one of the most frustrating things in our life. All right? I hate that thing. All right? I would take my lawnmower and I would mow over every bit of it if I could. All right? And she'll get out there and she'll take a rake and she'll take tools and she'll take other things and she'll dig and she'll plant and she'll pull weeds. And all of the time, those tools are very valuable. 
But the minute she puts them down, I am not picking them up. They are absolutely useless. And friends, when God uses you, it's for a purpose. When God created you, it was for a specific person, purpose. And today, if you and I will allow Him to work through us, He will use us for the purpose He created. For you, it might be the gift of encouragement. For you, it might be the gift of, of teaching. For you, it might be the gift of long-suffering or hospitality or whatever God created you for. Know that you are not created as an accident. You are not created as a mistake. Whatever strengths, whatever talents, whatever gifts God has given you, it is so that He can wield you for the purpose you were created. In 2 Kings chapter 5, possibly my favorite Old Testament miracle happens. There's a man by the name of Naaman, and he has leprosy. And he doesn't live in the nation of Israel. He's not a Jew. He's a foreigner. But a slave girl who was captured in battle is his servant. And as he is struggling with leprosy, it comes to his attention by the way of this young lady that there's a God in Israel that can heal. There's a God in Israel that's the one true God. And so Naaman goes to Israel and goes to the king and says, I hear I can be healed uh, of my leprosy. And the king goes, well, I can't heal leprosy. And the Bible says he was distraught and he was wringing his hands and he, was, he didn't know what to do because this foreign soldier, this, for, this foreign leader who had won military battles was here needing help and he couldn't help. And so Elisha the prophet gets involved. And he says, you need to go down to the Jordan and you need to dip seven times. And if you remember in that passage of Scripture, the name and says, well, I'm not going down to the Jordan. There's cleaner rivers in Damascus. There's cleaner rivers over there. And one of his servants said, well, would you have done it if it would have been a big thing? And so he's down to the river seven times and he dips. And if you know the story, he came out and he was clean, right? He comes back to Elijah. And listen to what the transpires between him and Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 5. Verse 15 and 16. And he returned to the man of God, and he and all of his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all of the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he, being Elijah, said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand... I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. You see, Elijah told Naaman, but listen, I don't deserve the credit. God healed you. God's the one that was at work. God was the one that broke your change. God is the one that did all this. Honor Him. Worship Him. And so friends, if God uses you, to change someone's life, if God uses you to encourage the sick or the hurting or the broken or the downtrodden or God gives you the privilege of leading someone to Christ, never allow it to change who you are. You remember who gets the credit. It's all of the Lord. He's the one that's worthy. He's the one we praise. He's the one we follow. He's the one we serve. Because when we elevate ourselves, even with the best of intention, friends, we rob God of what only belongs to Him, and that's praise. Second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture today, you've got to trust that God has a plan. 
But you have to trust that God will accomplish His plan. That God will accomplish His plan. You say, isn't that the same thing? Oh, no. I can trust God, but do I really believe He's going to do it? Do I really believe that He is going to work these things out for His good? Look what it says starting in verses 30 through 32. Then He said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs, and shoots out large branches, so that the birds of the air may nest under it. Shade. Atheists will look at this verse, and those that do not like the word of God, and say the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world. Jesus was wrong. If Jesus is all-knowing, why did he say that? Well, this is why. Because the mustard seed was the smallest seed that they dealt with. And so it makes no sense to tell them about something they've never seen. And so he tells them the mustard seed, the smallest seed that you deal with, this is what I want you to think about. Jesus knew what he was talking about. He was dumbing it down for who? The hearer, us, right? For them. And so he shows them that this small seed, which is insignificant in size or stature, when put in the ground, can grow into a bush, a small tree that's 15 feet tall, sometimes 6 feet wide. It can be used for animals and different things in their culture. And he's trying to show them that even from a small beginning, something can grow when God blesses it, when God is in it. And it's really a picture of what the church is, what the power of God is. These 12 men who are following Jesus... And the idea that one day the message that they would preach about the fact that Jesus loved them, died for them, rose from the dead for your sin and mine, would at some point go to all of the world. That every tribe, every tongue, every nation would be represented in heaven someday, all of because the seed that is sown, the Word of God, that when God is in it, It can grow, it can flourish, and that God will accomplish it. And so what that means is when you go into your place of employment or you go to school, there are lost friends and family that you come into contact with, you are not responsible for saving them. You are responsible for planting the seed and trusting that God can take that seed, can work in that soil, can work in that heart, and He can do something amazing. But it's not just in salvation, it's in every area of our life. You say, Jake, I know I should be a better spouse. Jake, I know I should be a different kind of parent. Jake, I know I should have faith in the situations that I'm going through. And God says, all He needs from you is just a little bit. He just needs you to trust Him. To believe that what He is doing, what He is working, how He can do things can change everything. Matthew, the 16th chapter, describes it like this. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I wasn't going to say this, but I said it in the first service, so I don't want to be accused of being unfair. 
Growing a church is not possible on human terms. Now you say, well, Jake, I see big churches all over the place. We're a fairly large church. I see places where you can't build big enough, big enough to fit them on there. That's not growing a church. That's a gathering of people. Only God grows His church. And if you hear a church say, we just need a pastor that can grow our church, you can't. You say, well, our church has grown. It's gotten bigger, but has it grown? What does spiritual growth look like? People being saved. People forgiving one another. People being willing to serve. People being willing to go on mission trips. People being willing to get along with God and say, I want to be the parent. I want to be the husband and wife that God wants us to be. That's growth. And it's different. What we want is more. What God wants is to do something special. To do something in the hearts and lives of people. Is it great to have lots of people? Absolutely. But friends, never forget that to be where God is growing something is much more special than to be somewhere where it's just large. And you need to make that decision in your family. We might not have as much money as the next people. We might not have as fancy as a house as the next people. We not be able to do all these things that other people do. But if God is working in us, if God is doing something in my life, if God is doing something in my family, if God is doing something in this church, then it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Third and final thing. You've got to trust that God has a plan. You've got to trust that God will accomplish that plan. And you have to believe that God wants you to be involved in it. You have to believe that God wants you involved. Look what it says in verses 33 and verse 34. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. You see, he gave these two parables to the multitude. Some he gave to his group. But what he says is, those that loved him, those that were following him, he explained it to them so they would know it, so they would be able to apply it, that they would be able to use what God had given them to do more. There is a verse that I try to pray for myself every day. There are multiple verses I try to pray, but this is one is probably the first thing I think of and pray every morning. It comes from Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17. You hear it quoted in the New Testament. God, through the prophet, through the writer of Proverbs, King, says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. I am a child of God because God first loved me. He showed me what love was. The conviction of the Holy Spirit working and moving, showing me that I needed Him. But now that He resides in me, now that He leads me, guides me, and directs me, I have to respond to that by saying, Lord, I love You. I love You more than my pride. I love You more than my hobbies. I love You more than anything else, Lord. And what I want for my life is to seek You. To seek what You have for my life. And what that verse says is, if I love God because He loved me and I will seek Him, I will find Him. 
You say, well, how can you find a God that's everywhere? That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about who He is. The goodness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the blessings of God, the purpose of God. You'll know Him. And today the greatest thing that you can do as an individual, if you're a child of God, is say, Lord, I need You. Lord, I need you to be at work in my marriage. I need you to be at work in my children's life. I need you to be at work in my life when I go to work. I need you in my life, Lord, when I go to school. Lord, I need you every hour, Lord. I need you. And what he promised was, what did we look at in the very first verse? In verses 24 and 25? Forever has to him more will be given. Friends, that's the greatest promise I think God can give us is that He wants to be at work in our life more. That He wants to use us more. That He is willing to work and move in someone like me even though I don't deserve it. God is willing to work in my marriage more if we'll just let Him. God is willing to work more in this church if we'll just willingly let Him. You say, could God do it if He wanted to? Absolutely. God can do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, but He says, what? For whoever has, to him more will be given. And it's based on what you do with it. Now, some of you have heard too much television preacher. You're thinking, so you're telling me that if I give a thousand, God has to give me ten thousand? No. That is not biblical. It's not something you should listen to. But what it is, is the more of your heart that you give the Lord, the more of your love that you give the more, the more of your attention and focus and worship you give, God is going to use you and use you and use you. You say, God, why doesn't God use me? It's because you don't want Him to. Why why doesn't God allow me? Because you don't want to. You say, well, Jake, I come to church all the time. Why can't I do more for God? Because you don't want to. You say, Jake, you don't know my heart. You're right. But what I do know is the Word of God. And it says if you want God to use you, to work through you, to let the light that He has given you shine, then He will do what? He'll give more of it. And so today I ask myself this question, God, if I'm not being used for your glory... What in my life is keeping that from happening? I didn't say producing results, but giving the opportunities. Giving the opportunities that God would have us. The question is, what's there? What's in my heart that's grieving the Holy Spirit? What sin is in my life that is quenching what the Spirit is doing? It's a right here question. It's not a look at your neighbor. It's not look at your kids. It's not blame your parents. It's a heart issue today. And my prayer is that each and every one of us would let the Spirit of God deal with our hearts. Jesus loved you. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that Jesus died on a cross, was buried, and rose again to take your sin and mine, the punishment for it. And if you'll respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, the drawing and working of Him, you will be saved. But friends, on the flip side of that, you can be just like the Pharisees, and say, I'm going to harden my heart. I'm going to harden my heart. We've all worked with people like that or lived with people like that or been people like that. 
that take correction well. Hey, you're not doing that right at work. Okay, thank you for letting me know that. I'm gonna, I'll do it differently. And you probably work with those people. Well, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, and I don't care. One is to success and one is to failure. And the same is true in the spiritual world. As the Spirit convicts you, corrects you, deals with you, the response is either yes or no. A softening, a used by God, or a growing hardness and coldness to the things of God. Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, you know that I cannot produce any results. I cannot change any hearts. God, only you can. But Lord, today I know in this place that your spirit is at work. And so Lord, for that heart that's here today under conviction, Lord, I pray that you would allow them to humble themselves, be saved. Lord, for those that truly know you, God, that you're working and moving in them, Lord, I pray that you would show them the areas of their life that are hindering, that are quenching what you are doing. And Lord, that you would use this place to produce much fruit, lives being changed, Lord, all for your glory. Lord, that when the world looks at this group of people, they see a light. A city on a hill, Lord. Wherever we go, to work, to school, into our homes, that there is something different going on here. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being here today. I thank you for the privilege of having your word and your spirit. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.